Hello, everyone. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next episode of Here to Help. At Indeed, our mission is to help people get jobs, and this is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what keeps me up at night. And what powers that mission is our people. Here to Help is a look at how experience, strength, and hope inspires people to want to help others. March is Women's History Month, and throughout this month, we are recognizing and celebrating the vital role of women in history. And while, of course, it's important to celebrate women's history at all times, during March, we shine a special light on the sacrifices made by women to help make the world a better and more inclusive place. My guest today is Zulaika Jumarali, a diversity, inclusion, and belonging business partner and former communications lead for our Women at Indeed Inclusion Resource Group. And Zulaika has been with Indeed for almost four years, but back in March of 2020, she was working on our communications team and was one of the people who really helped get Here to Help started. So uh, Zulaika, thank you so much for joining me today, and it's really great to have you on the other side of the camera today. Thanks for having me, Chris. So let's start where we always do with uh, a check-in. How are you doing today, right now? Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I feel uh, very humbled to have you know the privilege of, of chatting with you today, but I am very nervous, so I'll say that out loud. I've always sort of been behind the scenes with the Here to Helps, so it's uh, something new to be in the hot seat, but I'm really honored to be here. Fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Um, let's start with a little bit of what you do to uh, help people get jobs every day. You're a diversity, inclusion, and belonging business partner. Can you talk about the role and what it is that you do? Yeah. So as a DIMB business partner, um, a big part of my job is being a strategic thought partner and advisor to the functions that I support. And I work basically on helping leaders and, and DDNs to uphold our value of inclusion and belonging. So uh, I work in partnership with them to embed inclusive thinking and practices into the way that we operate. Um, and ideally this cascades into the way that we build our products and offerings and how those go into the world and ultimately how job seekers experience us. I work at building, um, building up data that we can talk about and interpret so that leaders can help to uh, make well-informed decisions for their org. Uh, we have very lofty goals around representation, and so um, I partner with them to work on plans for achieving those goals and ultimately um, creating an environment that matches what we talk about when we say inclusion and belonging is our company value, making sure that we have a culture that represents that, um, improving and maintaining psychological safety, um, and, and helping people to grow. We want all Indeedians to thrive here. And so um, I like to think that we're doing the work in-house that helps to ensure that we're living up to our values so that we help all people get jobs. That's great. Well, so one of the themes of, uh, the central theme really of Here to Help is what it is that inspires people to, to do what they do. So what would you say led you to, to this role? 
Um, so I've always been really inspired by our company's mission-driven culture. Um, it aligned with my personal values of being of service. I think we have, we made some bold and courageous decisions as a company um, to be agents of change, uh, and we talked about it very on a, on a broad platform back in 2020. And so um, I think for me, coming from you know an under-resourced background, I didn't see a lot of representation growing up. I didn't see people that looked like me or came from where I came from at school or professionally. So it was important for me to give back. Um, a lot of people ask, I, I had a, a side gig for over 10 years as an adjunct professor. Um, and a big part of that was loving interacting with students, but specifically working with students in a community that I related to so that they could see people who looked like them um, and that I could ideally be a mentor for them. And so I think the roads that I've taken have sort of led me to be um, continuing to be of service in the role that I'm doing. I hope that I'm, I'm, I'm living up to that goal, but that's sort of where I wanna be. Um, really proud to, to do the work that we do. I think um, we get to make change by leading by example, and it's, it's a powerful place to be. And I'm really excited that we get to be role models for the world. I think we have an incredible platform and we use it. Hmm. Well, um, one of the things that folks that work at Indeed have probably heard me say many times that I, I want everyone's next job to be at Indeed. And you made uh, a move in your career just within Indeed from internal comms to the DINB team. Can you talk about what inspired you to want to make that change in, in what you're doing day to day? Yes. Um, so when I started at Indeed about four, four years ago, almost four years ago, um, I was so excited that a diversity department existed. It was exciting to see uh, the work being done and the conversations that we were having coming from a corporate background. Um, it just didn't exist outside of employee resource groups. And so um, I joined every IRG I could find and made a lot of friends and connections there. Um, and at the time, a lot of the work, it, it was just diversity at the time. A lot of the work was around IRGs and how to support them. And over the years, I saw things evolve in the best way. Um, when LaFawn came on board, we started to make the shift from just not just, but IRGs into really becoming strategic business partners. And I, I got to work on several projects um, with the DIMB team and just seeing that team uh, unfold and, and things evolve inspired me so much. Um, and then I think there was just a turning point in 2020 where we started to really talk about um, inclusion and belonging as a goal and highlighting how to do that. It was just like we were not just paying lip service to what was happening in the world, but we were actually making plans to do something about it. And it just uh, really inspired me. And I, I've always been passionate about um, inclusion and belonging, but I felt like there was an opportunity to transfer some of the skills that I had um, from comms into DINB. And um, yeah, I, I did my homework. I had connected before with members of the team on projects. Um, I, I had an idea of what the team was about. And um, and I, I love it here. Um, I, love, I love what we do. It's not easy work. It's a challenge, but it, it's a beautiful process and just it's inspiring. I continue to be inspired by what we're doing. 
So this whole month, March is Women's History Month, and we're doing a lot at Indeed to to recognize that. Um, as the former communications lead for our Women at Indeed Inclusion Resource Group, can you talk about what what this month means to you and, and why it's important to to recognize uh, for a month the way that we do? Yeah, I love that we're continuing to celebrate. Um, a month is just never enough time. But to your earlier point, just having the spotlight allows us to just broaden the conversation. I think we don't hear or talk enough about women's contributions to society and culture and history. In particular, we don't hear enough about women of color and how we enrich all of those areas too. And so um, I'm excited to celebrate, but I do feel like we haven't quite crossed the finish line with respect to women's advancement, all our collective advancement. Last year, I um, created a Women at Indeed newsletter and I linked a New York Times article that had a quote that continues to speak to me. Um, so I'm gonna read it because I think it, it Tells, it, it will tell you how I really feel about um, where we are. Uh, it says, women are fierce. We break barriers, run companies, make scientific discoveries, raise families, and lift each other up. But the fact is, discriminatory policies blocked women from fully participating in our country for generations. It led to disparities in wages, representation, and opportunities that we are still tackling. I think that just kind of sums up where you know, I feel like we are. There's so much work to be done. Um, and I know that my um, Women at Indeed Sister Circle is, is doing the work now. Um, and and I, again, that team is evolving as well. Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing more open conversations, particularly around intersectionality, like a heightened awareness of all the layers um, of who we are. And importantly, I look forward to seeing more male allyship. So it is Women's History Month uh, all month long. Tomorrow is actually International Women's Day. Uh, and the theme for International Women's Day is Break the Bias. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yes. So uh, Break the Bias is, uh, like you said, the theme for International Women's Day. It's essentially um, it's a call to action. So it's a way of having people show their support and solidarity. So I, it's it's a, like a social media campaign. Um, there's a pose like there was last year. I think people remember taking pictures like that um, and getting um, posted in the in the Women at Indeed newsletter. This one is like a crossed arm like this, and it's supposed to represent the continued need to eliminate bias of all kinds. So gender, race, class, age, ability, um, and people can share their support um, by taking a picture of themselves doing that and sharing it on social media. Hashtag break the bias is about, you know, yes, showing your support, but also acknowledging that these biases exist. And I think, you know, that's a huge step in just, you know, talking about it, talking about your experiences with it. And, you know, then we can sort of move forward. So it's um, it's impossible to talk about issues facing women uh, in, in the context that we're in today without talking about um, what's happened throughout the pandemic and um, how really across the board, the sort of gross inequities that we see, you know, in society were, were highlighted and in many ways in, intensified. Um, I know you had your own uh, personal experience with um, how, you know, your home life got uh, shaken up during the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I think 
I I think a lot of people can probably relate. Um, you know, it it did feel like that time feels so far away, but it was a setback um, in a lot of ways. Um, for me personally, there there were phases to how this happened. Um, it's just kind of like the pandemic itself. Initially, um, you know, I was glad to have extra time with my daughter. She was two at the time, uh, and I had been having a lot of mom guilt, taking her to school and dropping her off and working. Um, but there were two very distinct parallels. There was mom life and then there was work. Um, and so when everything shut down, I, I was home with her. My husband was here as well, but she was really attached to me. And I had a lot of anxiety about balancing how to take care of her while I had other really important priorities. Um, at the time, a lot of our internal comms um, needs were ramped up. I know you remember this well. And so um, it was really, really difficult um, to try to balance that. You know, I, I, I genuinely, I didn't sleep for the first few months of the pandemic because I would be on Zoom calls all day and then all night I'd be doing the actual work I needed to do to stay on top of things. Um, there was just so many meetings and some of those were like conversations I would have had in the hallway or in the kitchen that could have been like five minute meeting or, you know, a check-in that turned into meetings. And so it was like sitting here, uh, she was potty training at the time, running out, uh, taking her for a walk and, and trying to restructure her day as well. Um, I, I can be very honest now, but there were many times that I had to turn my camera off for a tearful breakdown and then turn the camera back on and, you know, and try to get myself together. But there was a very delicate balance to my life anyway. I think maybe a lot of parents and caregivers can relate to this. Um, that delicate balance was just turned upside down during that time. Um, I think it just people had always talked before about work-life balance is always a thing. Like when you get a woman leader, you're like, how do you balance work and work in life? You know, work-life balance. And this just was demolished uh, for me. So again, I had to restructure what that looked like. Um, and over time, she got a little older and a little more understanding of what I'm doing. And, um, you know, she's four now, so it's a different experience. Um, and having school reopen uh, changed things for the better, of course. Um, but I do want to remark that I still consider myself to be in a position of privilege. I was able to work from home. And um, Chris, I think you modeled... And, and a lot of leaders, our SLT really modeled how important it was to be understanding of people's circumstances. Um, you know, I have people, women in my sister's circle who are single moms who did not have, who had a much more difficult time than I did. I think I had people who had to return to work at the height of the pandemic, leaving kids at home to learn, which was a disaster for some. Um, it, it just, it really genuinely felt like we had stripped back so much progress um you know and again from a more global perspective young women everywhere have had to stop their education um there, there are just there were so many horrific things that i complain i did complain then and you know it, it's really it was a difficult chapter but um i still consider myself very very privileged to have had the support that I've had and to be working at a company that allowed me the space, um, even though, again, there were pressing priorities. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, 
and for that perspective of uh, how how different the experience was for so many different people, and um, and not having little kids, my my kids are older. Um, it's it's hard to imagine what that was like. But I'll say for all of us who got it, who were working with you at the time, we loved seeing Zoe and all of those meetings. And I can imagine that it was not easy and stressful, but. Um, but that was one of the things that happened during this time is that is that the sort of walls between you know personal and work um, got got a lot thinner, which is also uncomfortable. You know, we uh, we talked about this early on, but someone at Indeed had said um, pretty early on in, in the pandemic that they didn't feel like that they were working from home, but that they were living at work, which is not a desirable concept. So one thing though that that I'd love to to, to dig into next is that. Um, the other thing that happened to you besides being at home and being home with your daughter is that you and your husband start, ended up starting a new business. So can you talk about that? And, and that's another, you know, sort of living at work, working from home kind of experience. How, how did that uh, come to be? And, and what was the impact on you and your family? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking about that. Um, so during the pandemic, um, my husband lost his job. And so he's a barber, a master barber. He would make me say master. <laughs> um, and so um, he had to stop practicing. The place where he worked shut down. Everything was shut down. Um, and so we, we had talked for a long time about what it would be like to be business owners. Um, but several months into the pandemic, um, again, his, the, his employer had shut down altogether. And we decided to inquire about whether or not we could open the space. And so we leased the very same location that he had worked from and opened a business. So it's called Ozzy's Barber Spa. And he's obviously the talent. Um, but we built it together. And uh, for us, that, like your, to your point about like work all around, um, it was really difficult because uh, there was the day job. There's the full-time parenting job for both of us. And then this was layered on top of it. So um, it, to be honest, it all feels like a blur how it all came together. But we aren't afraid of hard work. You know, we, we come from, both of us come from um, immigrant parents from the Caribbean. So um, we all know West Indian people like to work. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it was it was difficult. And to be honest, like everything has its pros and cons. So the pros were, oh my gosh, we get to be entrepreneurs. This is amazing. Uh, my husband loves working for himself and continues to have a, a great flow of clients. It's been great. Um, but on the other side, it did lock in this imbalance of childcare and responsibility. Um, so he's building the business. It's his baby. Um, and I have to take care of our baby and, and our home. And so, um, we're both tired all the time. You know, it's it's a it's a juggle. We're again in a place of privilege, but it's a juggle. Yeah, and I um before I joined Indeed, um I I had my own startup and in the early days, you know, the the kids were stuffing envelopes. My wife was, you know, working at all these events and she used to describe it as the family farm. Um, and it sort of has that because ev everyone is, is is involved. But as, as you pointed out, I, I mean, I'd love to, if you can talk a little bit about, you know, the um, how quickly for so many people, the sort of traditional gender roles of the uh, the woman having to take care of the kids, especially if, if um, the man was out of the house working, um, 
it was, you know, very stark to see how quickly that that happened in, in so many cases. Can you talk about how you how you dealt with that, and how you felt? Yeah, I I I just want to say how many other women in my sister circle have had a very similar experience, and it, like you said, it just happens like that, where all of a sudden, um, for me at least. I'm like 1950s housewife and full-time employee at the same time. So uh, I'll start by saying, as a couple, we had never quite mastered the balance of splitting responsibilities in the first place. And I think that's maybe normal for people who have like young children. Like, again, Zoe was so little at the time and and I kind of uh, took over a lot of the childcare responsibilities. And as my husband built the business, like he just wasn't there. Um, and so, you know, I have to remind him all the time still that I'm not a stay-at-home mom <laughs> because, you know, I think seeing that I'm home allows people to think that, you know, you have more flexibility and, and that you can do more, maybe do it all. Um, but I think in general, just the unpredictability of, of childcare has, has been a big driver in how much things have shifted. Um, I I complained to to him and to other people like this has set us back a whole generation, but I think that the there have been shifts in, in gender roles, but I think the bigger story is the gender inequality overall. So like again, we were never in a perfectly balanced space anyway, all of us, uh, and I think in general, the gaps between um, women's advancement has just like. The, those gaps are wider than ever. And so I think for me, from what I've read and, and my personal experience, I would say a lot of it is due to caregiving. That just tends to fall predominantly on women's laps. Um, and so, you know, and you, we talked about this before, Chris, like we've seen women just exit the workforce in droves. I think even up to last month, there was like over 200,000 women um, or January, 200,000 women who just left the workforce altogether. And so a lot, a large percentage of, of those women are women of color and low-income women. And I think they were already lagging behind. And so to me, it's like, what does that look like? Having to reintroduce them or, or what will bring them back? Um, and then I think also about the changing nature of work and the hybrid environment, again, mostly women and mostly women of color are the ones that opt into fully remote uh, work. And so I, I think about like, what does that look like for our advancement? Um, so again, you know, the setbacks are, are vast for me. I, again, I'm, I've been really lucky. I have understanding uh, managers and um, we work for a company that obviously, you know, reflects values that highlight how important women are. Um, but in general, I, I do worry about the direction we're heading. The gender roles are alarming, but the gaps are even more um, difficult to watch. If you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might have missed, like my conversation with Dr. Shayla White-Ramsey, and get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Zulaika Jumarali after this break. You've um, been talking about just how to how to balance or or juggle um, all of these different 
responsibilities within work, work and 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 personal and family. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other folks who might be listening right now who are um, facing or have been dealing with the same things. What what would you say to them? Uh, and what kind of I don't know advice or or guidance or inspiration might you have? Yeah, for me, it's so it's been so helpful and important that just people talk about it. Um, I think you're you're pretty good at you know highlighting your personal story, and I think um, I hope that other people feel that my transparency is helpful to them. It's a consistent juggle that could be interrupted by anything. Um, my kid could wake up not feeling well, and my work week is shot. A, a school closure, snow day, or a sick kid in the classroom, uh, it can really throw everything off that all of those things that I talked about being so delicately balanced can be, again, like really um, totally messed up by things, again, outside of my control. And so for a while, and I still work, I still juggle this, the anxiety builds up around how to plan for things that you just can't plan for. Um, and so I, there are two things that I would say my message to other people. Um, <clears throat> one is just kind of do what you can, right? You talked last week with Shayla about relinquishing control. And I felt like you guys were talking directly to me because that's definitely something I struggle with. Um, for a long time, I think I've had this like little paper quote taped to my computer for over 10 years, my home computer. <clears throat> And it's like uh, a quote that says, how deep is the water? If it's over your head, does it really matter? At some point when the stakes are high enough and your skills and desires are ready, you will swim. And so I keep that close by to remind myself that I can swim. Um, and, and the truth is, I, I talk about this all the time with, with women um, in my circle, that most of us are paddling like crazy under the surface anyway. You, you, a lot of people just don't see that. You see people show up, you know, seemingly okay on the Zoom, but most of us are just paddling like crazy. So, so you know, one of the things that we have talked about a lot is that, you know, to add another layer and dimension to the things that you're balancing, you're a woman of color, you're going through these personal experiences yourself, and then you're also a DI and B partner. And so you're trying to every day show up to be there to help and support other people. And yet you're helping people with a lot of things that you're experiencing yourself. So how do you, how do you think about approaching and balancing that and taking care of yourself through the work that you're doing? Yeah, I, I will say that I'm a work in progress. Um, Misty often talks about this, um, this, the challenges of being a person of color and doing this work. Um, it's not something you can really readily separate. It, it's hard. Um, this role is loaded with complexities. And so, you know, I try to balance my personal passions and experiences around conversations where I, I try to meet people where they are. Um, some people have really good intent and they just don't know how to own the work that goes into making substantive change. And so there are a lot of conversations and, um, I try really hard not to take a lot of that personally, and it's not personal. So I think maybe that's what what helps. Um, but to be candid, you know, 
there's a lot of work on my part. I don't really have a self-care routine. I don't really know how to balance. And so I, I work on that. I'm reading this book about setting boundaries. You know, it's difficult. And so I, I continue to be a work in progress. So um, one important part of that difficult work in in being on the front lines, really, of, of working on uh, diversity, inclusion, and belonging is being open to and willing to have tough conversations and, and having tough conversations with people who might not also be ready to have some of those conversations. Um, how do you how do you approach that? Yeah, I think, um, again, this is where I continue to be growing. But for me, and this is a carryover from my executive communications work, where I feel like it's really important to build strong relationships and establishing a mutual trust to me is like very foundational work. Um, again, I think as a company, we have made a decision about where we stand. And so that gives me a lot of strength. And so I, I know that our, our values are what I stand on. Again, it continues to be a learning process, but you know, I work first at trying to build awareness of issues. So that's a really big feature of how I interact with the teams that I support is sharing information um, and continuing to have open conversations. I think um, one of the, the things about me that I, I try really hard to relay is that I am not judging. You know, I'm here to support. I'm here for you to ask questions and for and to partner with you. There's literally no judgment on my side. I'm always assuming good intent, um, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to be honest and and roll up my sleeves alongside you. And so, there's no easy solutions. If if we had that figured out, we'd be, you know, doing uh, work beyond Indeed. I think we are doing really, really great work, but we're still working at it. There are no quick answers and no quick solutions. And so it's just um, letting my teams know that I'm here with them. I'm rolling up my sleeves right with them and, and we're trying to solve the big problems. So as a part of Women's History Month um, at Indeed, we're celebrating women who support other women and uh, with International Women's Day tomorrow, um, are there any women that you would like to mention that have supported you? Yes. Um, so I have concentric sister circles. I have um, four sisters. Anyone who knows me personally knows that those are my my besties and my foundation. And I have built wonderful sister circles at work here at Indeed and other roles. Um, I continue to maintain uh, those friendships. Um, even, you know, again, here at, here at Indeed, when we were in office, we had, um, I used to host Black Girl Magic lunches. And so we just had opportunities to interact and talk and share. We didn't have enough of those before the pandemic hit. And so um, to all those ladies at Indeed um, who are in that, in that circle, um, who maintain conversations on Slack, I've had um, professional mentors um, at Indeed again and, and beyond. Um, I'm not going to call out everyone because there's just too many. Um, my women at Indeed, um, partners that I worked alongside, um, managers. Like I, I've always had wonderful support from uh, the women around me, and I continue to try to be that for others. Um, like I keep saying quotes, but this one really kind of speaks to how I feel about 
the sister circles that I that I've cultivated. It's um, from Michelle Obama, and it just talks. She talks about you know friendships between women being a thousand kindness tr kindnesses traded back and forth, and so I try to share those kindnesses, and I am so blessed to be on the other end of those as well. So yeah, I have too many to count. Um, but again, concentric sister circles. That's fantastic. Well, um, as we uh, as we draw to a close here, um, I like to ask uh, the same question of everyone, which is, you know, looking back over the last couple of years, which has been extraordinarily challenging for the world, and and certainly you and and your family have had uh, a set of of challenges that are you know, not unique, but they're yours. Um, in all of that, is there something that you can point to that um, leaves you feeling optimistic and hopeful for the future? Yeah, I, I'm always optimistic for the future. I have um, learned how incredibly resilient women are. Um, we have just, we just have managed so much. We, as a collective, I'll, I'll speak for many uh, of us parents and caregivers, not maybe not just women, but we, I guess we didn't have a choice, but most of us rose to the occasion. And so um, I sometimes forget to remember how resilient, how much resilience that, that required. Um, and then you just talked a little bit about, you know, people saying that um, work, you're, like you're, you're showing up at work as like, this is who you are, right? Like there's no line anymore between who you are at work and who you are at home. Like people just get to see who you are. Um, that's, a, that's a very new thing to me. Um, and so I have worked really hard to embrace that. And I, I think I've seen it in so many other areas where people just show up authentically as themselves. Like this is who I am. And my kids jump in on the bed <laughs> next to me or making noises in the bag or sitting on my lap. But like, I'm a mom and um, I'm human and, and this is how I get to show up and I'm allowed to show up that way at work. And I think that has made me so optimistic about um, what's ahead, like that we're getting to see so many dimensions of people being who they are. And it, it's endearing to me to see colleagues uh, in their fullness. I love it. And then the conversations we've had around representation um, as a company that we continue to have, but also globally, I think the global conversation has shifted um, and it's no longer something um, off the table. We're talking about it all the time. Uh, and again, we haven't solved it. There's so much more work to do, but the fact that we're talking about it and, and it's, it's a part of our global social conversation is incredibly valuable to me. Um, and then the last piece I would say is um, what we what you just talked about this focus on well being and mental health as a as a thing um, is just a popular conversation right now that I love to see. Um, taking care of yourself is becoming the new normal, and I can't speak for all Black women, but for myself and many in my sister circle, the concept of self care is radical. And so again, I'm not good at it. But um, the fact that we're talking about it and people are, you know, making it known that this needs to happen is huge. So all those things make me very positive and optimistic for what's ahead. Well, um, so like a 
Thank you so much for joining me today. That was an amazing conversation. And, um, and thank you so much for everything that you have done for Indeed. And especially, you've been incredibly uh, helpful to me uh, over these past couple of years with all of the, the importance of, of internal communications, as you said before, really just moved into another gear over the last couple of years. And, and that's something that I hope that we will carry into the future as well as really con, you know, continuing this level of engagement and discussion. And I'm just so glad to have been able to bring you into this conversation here and to, to share your inspiration with everyone. And so thank you for everything that you do. Same, Chris, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Until next time.